As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today to preview the U.S. women's national team ahead of their first game at the Olympics is Jordan Angeli. Jordan, good to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me, Taylor. Yeah, this will be fun. A lot to talk about. <laughs> I think you're in the same sort of position that we've been in, that I'm in right now, of like, there have been so many tournaments, so oh many gosh. different competitions going on that it's then like, oh, the Olympics are here. <laughs> Better get ready for that. Like, my notes for when the Gold Cup started were basically just like, oh, and now the Gold Cup begins. Like, it was that quick of a transition. Do you feel like, honestly, do you feel like you are ready for the Olympics to begin? Because I don't think I am. No. I don't think I'm in that sort of like a big tournament is starting mode quite yet. No, and that's the thing because the Olympics, like, it starts and then it ends. It's so right? quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if I'm not ready now, I, I have, what, a, a few hours to get ready? <laughs> I, I think it's weird, too, because like like the Euros, you know, it was a tournament that we expected to happen last year. And so mm-hmm. it feels, I, I think, strange and like a little bit of our rhythm that it's happening now. It's like, wait, it is happening. Are we calling this the 2020 Olympics, like the 2020 yep. Euros, <laughs> which every time I was like, why don't we just change it? <laughs> um, yeah. So it, I'm right there with you. Yeah, that right was, with you that that was strange. Um, but yeah, here we are. And um, it's going to happen, which is, I think, very exciting in the grand scheme of things that these players get to compete because that's the dream, right? Um, gosh, I just can only imagine competing for your your country in, in Olympics. So I'm, I'm happy they had this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I want to get to the squad and sort of our expectations for it in a second. But you mentioned that it was supposed to happen last year. And I think that also has created, at least for me, a strange confusion around this team. Because mm-hmm. I think if it happens last summer, it would have been the send-off tournament for a lot of the big names. Then head coach Vladko Andonovsky probably starts that rebuild. We get younger players coming in more regularly and getting more regular minutes. COVID pushes things back a year. That process is delayed. Now it's been two years since the World Cup. There aren't that many new names in this team. Does that sort of factor into your enthusiasm at all? Like, would you have liked to see a sort of younger team at this point? Or are you okay with where things are, given how things have been? I think the... So you're saying, like, Carly Lloyd, potentially Megan Rapino. Who else mm-hmm. were you, would you add to that group? 
Um, I think, well, some of them have, I think, been, like, sort of left off to start, because I think, like, uh, Ashlyn Harris and Allie Krieger would probably right. be yep. in that yep. list. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. That's true. Yeah, I think it's probably, I get what it's you probably mean. Carly Lloyd, and it would have been Alex Morgan, I think, probably because of uh, pregnancy and still recovering. Yes. Maybe she would have made it in time. Right. But even then, that's not necessarily a, a like, send-off. I think it's just that we have so many young players coming through, in my mind, Absolutely. who did end up eventually making the roster, and we'll talk about why that was the case, but it just seems like we're sort of in this this strange limbo period. Yeah. Of it's basically that same World Cup team and then a few new names, but mm-hmm. not as many as might have been expected. Yeah. And I I just asked that question because I, I just in my brain and just watching mm-hmm. some of these players and what they've continued to do uh, at older ages, like mm-hmm. I think last year, maybe we would have thought this was Carly Lloyd's last tournament, but like now <laughs> I just don't actually know. Um, yep. She just continues to believe in herself and and not put any limitations on what she is able to accomplish. And I think that's really inspiring for a lot of people. And got to chat with her on the U.S. Soccer Podcast a few, gosh, a couple months ago now. And it was just really cool to hear her point of view and her perspective and where she's at in her life. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this will be her last tournament. And would it have been last year? Potentially, because she might not have had the time during the break to really evaluate things that were going on in her life. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do think that what the rhythm we've gotten in is, you know, the world cup happens the year after it's the Olympics and it's this really, really difficult, uh, challenge to win the world cup and then win the Olympics. It hasn't been done. And, and this is, you know, going into last year, everybody said, well, if anybody could do it, it's this team. And I believe that, but I do think that this year having maybe a little bit of a break, with Mm -hmm. COVID and having time off of playing some games allowed some players to rest that maybe they wouldn't have had that rest going into Olympics and trying to push their bodies to the limits. Maybe now that they're in, they're at a better place going into this year's Olympics. Um, but I, I still do think, man, you look at this squad and it is ridiculous. I'm not, I'm not too mad that some of these players are on there um, but you, you said it, there are so many good players up and coming and some of them got to make the trip and some of them got named to the squad and eventually the alternates become a member of the squad, which is another big thing. But, um, there's some new faces, but man, there are some tried and true veterans who you want on your team when it comes to a big tournament. Most definitely. And you have those tried and true veterans playing in a pretty tried and true formation and approach for people who are new to the team. Uh, what would you say is that style and approach? I'm assuming we're going to get that 4-3-3 shape. Mm-hmm. What else can people be looking for when the U.S. Uh, goes out against Sweden? Yeah, I, uh, the 4-3-3, Vlaco has done some interesting things with it. And I, what I've really liked is his ability to move the midfielders into um, some wider positions. I think Lindsay Horan is a good example of that. Sam Mewis does it on occasion too. I would say she typically stays a little bit more central, but um, the rotations of bringing one of the the two players in front of the six. So they play with really kind of two eights and Julie Ertz typically starts in that six spot. We'll see where she is at with, um, she had an MCL injury in May. So if she's starting in that spot, it gives freedom for those two players in front of her to really just feel the game. And from there, there is so much creativity that goes forward because you're then really attacking with five players who are good on the ball, whether it's Lindsay Horan, Sam Lewis, or Rose Lavelle centrally. You have Kristen Press, who's been absolutely on fire. Megan Rapino, Tobin Heath now um, healthy. Taylor, I talk about all those players. I mean, all those players are one goal scorers, right? Yep. And two, they they have a feel for the game where they really understand different combinations of if a player is taking the outside channel, well, I'm going to move centrally. Even if I'm a winger, I'm going to move centrally. Even if I'm outside back, I'm going to move centrally because I can I can utilize that space a la Crystal Dunn and attack and make it difficult on the opponent to have to shift and defend. So I do think there is a fluidity about their possession going forward, but also a tenacity to say, all right, we see a weakness. We're going to get after it with our creative goal scoring front five. And who would you say is the least replaceable? Like Julie Ertz mm. having that MCL injury without her. Like she she does seem to be the one that is an ever-present fixture in that starting 11. Yeah. 
Is it Julie Ertz or are there other players who you think are even more indispensable? Gosh, I think at this point, and she has been one of those players, absolutely, but they've still succeeded without her in the last few games. I would I would say Becky Sauerbrunn. Is that mm. because if you look at the depth at the center back, not that Tierna Davidson isn't a great player, but Becky has all the experience, right? You and now Abby Delcumper yep. is next to her. And um there was a good piece by US Soccer. They mic'd her up and um at training a few days ago. And you could hear all the communication that Abby Dahlkemper um has with her team, but I do think that there is stability that playing next to Becky Sauerbrunn gives you. It doesn't matter if you're the center back next to her or Julie Ertz in front of her or um, one of her outside backs, right? She she is that veteran presence, that captain-like presence on the field. So I would say, because if you go up the field, Taylor, every other position, you know, the, the number two is really a number one that just didn't get the call that day, right? They're, yeah. they're so deep in so many positions. That I would say, if something were to happen to Becky and she wouldn't wasn't able to play, I would say that would be the most irreplaceable. You could slide Julie Ertz back in there, right? She she plays that, but with this instability of Ertz and not knowing where she's at with her injury and how many minutes she can give and all that, um, I don't know. That would be my spot. I mean, I think that's a, a solid shout, especially yeah. with her being a captain, a yeah. visible leader, a vocal leader. I'm assuming a locker room leader as well. Actually, speaking of the locker room, uh, one thing we heard about from Jill Ellis's time was that it was a more l- ruthless one and maybe the communication wasn't always great. Have you heard much about like the the vibe within the team as we prepare for this tournament? Do you, do you expect things to be better, worse, different, the same? Like h- how, how do you think things have changed in the way the team is sort of getting along under Vlatko? Yeah, I think that's a, you know, I, I feel like I've talked about locker room before. I don't know, like... It's hard for me to speak to that mm-hmm. when I'm not in that position. But what I would say from my experience and knowing this team and um, being in that locker room for, you know, training camps, they yep. the reason that they're so good is because they teeter on this edge of um, responsibility and like and holding other others accountable. And so you, you have to take the responsibility for what you do, but they hold each other accountable too. And they're not afraid to call each other out in not a negative way, but just saying, Hey, we got to be better on these things. And their own personal responsibility builds the competitiveness. So when you add all those things together, I do think that there's moments where, um, yeah, maybe from Jill's perspective, it's a little ruthless, but uh, it seems to work and it seems to allow them to perform. It doesn't seem like it's been a hindrance from an outsider's perspective um, for what they're able to do on the field. It seems like it allows them to continue to up the level, which it just is remarkable how they continue to do that year after year. So let's get to the roster then, if you would. Uh, we normally have it as an 18-player roster, which is uh, cut down from the 23 for official competitions like the World Cup. This time around, it will be 22. The alternates have basically just been added, so you get 22 from the outset, which I, I think has to be an advantage for the United States because yeah. they rolled the dice with, say, Megan Rapino last time. That did not work out. They're doing it with Julie Ertz, as you mentioned, with uh, with Tobin Heath as well. So it does give you more depth. Do you think that that is a leg up that since the U.S. hasn't had in the past, it does put them in an, in an even more favorable position this, for this tournament? Oh, yeah. Just even talking about the setup of this tournament, it's a game two days off in a game. It goes by so quickly. And I know I mentioned that at the beginning of the show to add in four more players, especially three of them being players that can help you with actual physical minutes on the pitch and, and take some of that load off of players who maybe you can't overload in the early stages of the tournament. Um, Maybe it's Tobin, maybe it's Julie who are coming back from an injury and you want to make sure that you're getting them enough time but not overdoing it in the group stage. That is honestly priceless. And I think one of the reasons why this turnaround from the World Cup to the Olympics the following year is so difficult on these women's teams is because unlike the men, right, it's the same, it's the full team that goes. It's not the under 23s. Right. It's the team that's in the World Cup then goes to the Olympics. And so not only are you... Picking from a 23-player roster that for the U.S. just won the Olympics and narrowing it down to 18. So you think about the emotions that come with it when your teammate that 
you just competed with isn't there anymore. And now, you know, I think you take a lot of those external factors away by um, bringing in 22 plus the the physical attributes that they can bring and carrying some loaded minutes because every single one of these players that was an alternate, I, I mean, maybe not the goalkeeper, but they will get, I, I would imagine they're going to get some kind of minutes because like I said, the depth of this team is just absolutely ridiculous that you could put a, put them in and they can provide stability within a, a team who has, I feel like they know who they are. They know how to execute and they trust each other. They trust that all 22 players could come in and, and do their part. And as you mentioned, it's game two day break game. Yeah. That is a pretty rigorous schedule. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does the U.S.'s like preferred style of play favor that a little bit? Because my assumption would be that if you're making the ball do the work, mm-hmm. then you maybe are going to be a little bit fresher, a little bit later in more games. If you're a high pressing, high tempo team that's running everywhere and everybody's running a marathon by the end of the match, that's harder to do yeah. uh, on only two to two days rest. So where is the U.S.'s sort of strength when it comes to their style when it comes to this schedule? I would say, actually, I would actually merge both of those together. I do think they're in advantage because of their possession style. They can get more players forward, and then they do turn those into counter-pressing and high-pressing situations. Hmm. So unlike a team, as you had just mentioned, you know, maybe an opposing team who does – uh, rely on a counterattack or high pressing and can get really, really stretched at moments. I feel like there are very few moments when this U.S. team does get stretched from a high pressing situation because they typically come from them building the ball up, creating a good looking attacking sequence. And then if they do lose the ball, they're almost in this. Um, it reminds me of hockey, you know, like when you dump the puck and then like go and counter press or go in, um, what do they call that? Uh, forecheck. Like they're in this forechecking <laughs> position where they can then go press all, all the places they want to win the ball back in a higher spot and then either get to goal or continue to possess higher up on the field. So I do think that, um, it could, it could lead to them being maybe a little bit more rested as mm-hmm. they enter into the later games within the group play, but then, eventually hopefully the um the knockout rounds because if you think about not just them but their opponents if they always have the ball and they're making their opponents do the defensive work that's just exhausting not only physically but mentally as well so um, it not only helps them but it probably hurts the opponents as well looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. And we do uh, potentially have new listeners uh, to both like soccer and this podcast, or new fans of yeah. soccer. And we have some people who maybe aren't as familiar with some of the terminology. We get questions about counter pressing yeah. a lot, and it is one of those things that I think, like, like definitely, like I will say and throw out. There's a few of those like dropping deep. I, I think people have pointed out like that doesn't actually make as much sense as you might think it does when you first say it. Yeah. Jordan, can you <laughs> explain it for people who might not be as familiar what the idea of counter pressing is? Of course, and Taylor, that's one of the things I love about the Total Soccer Show is it is such a great show for no matter if you're new to the game or if you've been watching forever. So um, if you are new, welcome. And uh, you found the right place for sure because (laughs) uh, these guys do the best job. Um, So counterpress is you've you basically have lost the ball in typically a higher up position on the field. But you recognize that there is an opportunity in those maybe five, 10, 15 seconds after you lose it to swarm the other team and try to win the ball back immediately after. So you've put yourself in a position that um, typically you're supported by players that are on your team that are around you in good attacking positions. 
that if you do lose the ball, you can almost, we, we called it when I played hunt the ball down, you go and hunt the ball and try to win it right back. Um, immediately after you lose it. And the key being in that, if you are in, in a good attacking zone, maybe in the attacking third or um, edging on that third, middle third to attacking third, you've then put yourself in a position where you can then quickly turn that into an offensive progression. So I think that is how I would yeah. explain it. I would, I would agree. Yeah. I would ask you then, for the U.S., when they implement it, does it tend to be in your mind, is it like individual specific? Are they, are they kind of stepping when one player leads that line? Are there certain triggers or is it certain ball positions or does it just tend to be uh, based on the individual opponent and what they're doing or not doing? I think it's um, – I, I can't think of a specific trigger for them right now. Off, mm-hmm. I'm sure there are, right? And I, I would imagine – with Vlaco and all of the work that he does behind the scenes, there are not only um, he doesn't only give the freedom to his players on the field to make those decisions when the game, when it presents itself in the game, but also he's saying, Hey, if the ball goes from their right center back to their right outside back, we're going to get after that player because they're not good with the ball at their feet. They tend to try to this pass. So maybe they're not only getting pressure to the outside right back, but they're denying the pass into the front runner because that's typically the pass that she likes to play. So I would say um, that's just an example. I'm not saying that is exactly what he's trying to do, but I I think it's a mixture between just feeling the game, which this team does well. And um, because they are so high energy and um, quick and fast and fit that they can high press and transition really quickly that those counter press opportunities are something that they can just feel. And um, if it's not on, yeah. you might see a player go, right? <laughs> Tobin Heath might go and try to go press, but people aren't organized behind her and they might just drop back a little bit and pull Tobin back. So I think it really is, it's a hard thing to say all the exact cues, but mm-hmm. this team is good at reading and communicating with each other on the fly and saying, all right, let's go or let's pull back and let's just get into a little bit more of a block. Yeah, apologies. I think I asked you like a, a calculus level uh, <laughs> I was tactics like, hmm, question against, out of nowhere. Against Sweden, <laughs> this is what they will be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, don't, if you don't mind, just break it down for me as though you've watched all that same footage. We're going to talk no, about that after, right? That, that's yes, what we'll talk about after. That's what okay, we'll cool. definitely talk about after. But for people when they're watching, that that is the type of thing that I like to kind of pay attention yeah. to is not just what is the U.S. doing in that counter press, but like why are they doing it? Yeah. How are they stepping? Who are they stepping to? Who are they trying to force Sweden into playing into or out mm-hmm. of because I think then you can see sort of the vulnerabilities they've identified. Yeah. But we've talked about the overall team plenty. Let's talk about the individual players and positions for a moment. Let's start in goal. We've got Alyssa Nair, we've got Adriana French, and we've got Jane Campbell. French was maybe a slight surprise as the number two, but aside from that, it's it's pretty much as we expected. And then Jane Campbell coming in once the alternates became official players. How strong is the U.S. in this department? And maybe more specifically, what would you say are the areas that you think Alyssa Nair is like excels at that you have no doubt she can handle that? And what are the areas where you think she might have uh, vulnerability or weakness? Ooh, um, I think I think the the there was so many questions going into the World Cup about Alyssa Nair and would she be good as Hope Solo? You know, there's all, that's mm-hmm. how we we do that, right? As yep, as commentators, just com- compare comparing each player. And I think that Alyssa um, has grown so much over her career and utilized her time in the World Cup to gain confidence. And so I do think that for her, she is stepping into this tournament confident and knowing um, her abilities. I would say sometimes coming off the line, she's not super confident in being able to close space if she's called to come off the line. I think she is a good shot stopper. She's a great organizer. And she brings an experience to this squad that um, is crucial when you're talking about a tournament where you are playing um, quick succession games. And maybe if you're not a good organizer and your team's a little tired, then is that a cause for a breakdown? So I, I do think that she's really good. And then the other two goalkeepers, you bring in Jane Campbell, and she's been really good um, historically in NWSL in, um, in penalties. So I think that's interesting. And now she joins, she was an alternate and I don't know, like, I don't know if that'll actually play out, but it's just a really interesting thing to note because 
of her history with that. And then I, I really like AD France. She had an injury after the World Cup last year. She had an injury that she um, came back from. But what I like about her is she has personality and she has um, a feistiness to, about her. And um, she she does things in goal. She can make saves that I think uh, will, will surprise you. So I think overall, this is a really deep goalkeeping threesome. And they all seem to, you know, what's most important is they get along really well too, right? And you're training um, – every day in between those games and you have to be ready to step up if called upon, but you also have to cheer each other on and make sure Alyssa is in, in the best place she can be in to perform. And I think those other two can really help her with that. In defense, we've got Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Crystal Dunn, Kelly O'Hara, Becky Sauerbrunn, Emily Sonnet, and Casey Kruger. No midge purse, which uh, was maybe the, the big mm-hmm. omission, the big snub that seemed to get the biggest amount of talking points. Uh, Jordan, for you, who do you expect to be uh, maybe your starting four? And uh, second question would be, uh, which player in this list of defenders do you think gives you the most versatility or is there because of that versatility? Oh, okay. Um, back four, I would say Crystal Dunn, Abby Dahl Kemper, yep. Um, yep. Becky Sauerbrunn, and Kelly O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Those are my four. Those um, are some of the best defenders in the world. And then you add in the attacking ability of Crystal Dunn and Kelly O'Hara. And it's like, are they defenders or are they attackers? <laughs> uh, which is, I think, one of the really secret weapons of this, not so secret, um, of this U.S. Women's National Team. Um, I would say there is some... The interesting thing when you look at all these players, Taylor, and your second question is... You know, why are they there maybe for their versatility? Well, Emily Sonnet can play outside back, center back, or holding midfielder. Casey Kruger can play outside back. She probably could play center back, but I would say she's, she's a left back, right? She's, she's, um, has the ability to cover that position. Um, and then Crystal Dunn, you know, she can play, um, everywhere on the field. And Tierna Davidson has the center back. She could play outside back. I would say she's better center back or she could play holding mid. So it's, it's interesting because two of those other players, Tierna Davidson, Emily Sonic can really fill in to, for various positions around the back line and in central midfield. Um, but I, I like bringing Casey Kruger in. I think. I think she's one of the best 1v1 defenders and has consistently been that in NWSL over the last, gosh, four years. Um, and, and I don't know if you remember this, Taylor, before the, the World Cup, it was actually, that was the big news that she didn't make the team, that Allie Krieger made the team. And it ended up being a good decision, right? Because That's Krieger nice. played a huge role in that final game. And, um, you know, you talk about how you, it's not just about filling in a team with how, they play on the field, but filling in a roster that has maybe experience in different ways. And I think yeah. Kruger brings the experience of just tried and true one V one defending. And I, I know talking to Rory Dames over the years, her head coach at Chicago red stars, he is always talking about her, to, her ability to defend one V one. So, um, and I'm just like, what a story she is. She has torn her ACL three times has continued to, fight for uh she played abroad and then came back to nwsl and has just been consistent over the last four years didn't make that world cup team now has the olympics try like this time at the olympics it's just like one of those feel-good stories that this is also isn't it also a reason we watch the olympics like we end up rooting for all these people that we didn't know we were rooting for but um here we are um Three knee surgeries yeah. will definitely have me pulling for her. Yeah. How, Jordan, how many did you have to have, if I, you don't mind my asking? Yeah, I also had three ACLs, so I also think that's maybe why I um, I have a little soft spot, soft spot for was her. That, <laughs> was that all the same knee, or was that different knees? Mine different was times? all the same. Hers hers is two and one, similar to Megan Rapino, who has also had three ACLs. Wow. I know. So actually, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to stick with that for a second okay. because I, I did my, 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 my right knee once mm-hmm. and was sort of resigned to doing it again because at that time I didn't like stretch. I didn't cool down. I didn't really take care of myself and do pregame stuff that you should probably be doing. Mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate in not tearing it again, but it's always been that like it could happen at any moment yeah. and it is in the back of your mind once it happens. How much more impactful and draining and difficult is it not even just from a physical pain standpoint having it happen three times but does it take 
a mental toll on you? Does it wear on you a little bit or make you maybe a little bit more cautious than you would be? Yeah, I think it does um, for a certain amount of time. And and I say that because, you know, I just mentioned two players, Casey Kruger, Megan Rapino, who mm. have done this multiple times. And I think as you work back into playing after any any big injury, um, but especially multiple knee surgeries, yeah, you are a little bit of you feels like, oh gosh, like, all right, mentally, can I do this? Can I continue to ask this of my body? Um, is that what I, I want to do? But it seems to me like both of those players have one, probably really good support staff around them to get them both physically and mentally to the place where those things come up and then they deal with them and then they can move forward. And they've both moved forward in a way that we're it doesn't look to me anymore like they're thinking about it. And I think that there is a time when you're watching someone coming back from an ACL where it's like, you can tell they're a little cautious about things. And those two don't really have that caution anymore, which gives you just an insight into what they've gone through physically, but also the work they've done mentally to get themselves in a space just to trust their body can can do what they ask of it. And in your experience, did it take more each time to get back to full fitness or is it a little bit of like I've heard that with like yeah. hip surgery that once you have the hip surgery, it's replacing a part and then you kind of function mm-hmm. as you normally would. Did you find that to be the case with the knee or was it a little bit harder each time? Um, it was harder each for me personally. It was harder each time mm-hmm. uh, just because two of my 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 first two were two in a year. So um, it was just very difficult to... You did two in a year? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really difficult to understand that my wow. body wasn't going to fail me again. And then after the third one, um, you know, it, like one of those stories where you're just at the top of the top and you feel like you're flying and then you get injured and you're like, why? And so I, I think that one... That one for me, I just had to like let go a lot of the things that I thought were going to be of my soccer life. So the, I, for me, it definitely was harder each time because you're like, I can get through this the first time. Like I've seen so many people do this. And then the second time you're like, wow, why is this happening to me again? Then the third time I was like, no, like I don't want to do this anymore. So it took a long time for me to be like, all right, maybe I'll do this again. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, mentally, it's very, very difficult. And I think that that's why I'm just... I've spoken to Casey Kruger on my my podcast that I help people through ACL injuries and her mindset about it all and just her ability to continue to have faith in what the plan was for her is really inspiring. And so it's cool to see her get her moment after so many trials. And so, you know, getting back and being so consistent. And I think when you talk about the mental game, that's what has probably helped her is her consistency and performance over the last few few years with the Chicago Red Stars. So now she's in this spot where she can step into this Olympic roster and really feel confident about who she is as a player and what she can add to this team. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right. Uh, I'm now all in on Casey Kruger winning, and I would like her to split the medal with you, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. Possible. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you for sharing that. Because that's yeah. really, I always assumed that like, 
Ah, uh, the one would be the worst because you're not used to it. And in reality, now that I think about it, of course it would be worse to tear it a second and even a third time because then you do have that. To me, it's like like I was fixing our sink, and like the first time you think you fixed it, it leaks. You're like, ah, oh, maybe just a quick little tighten, it's fine. Yeah. And then after like the second or third time, it's like, well, it's never going to be fixed again, and I don't know what I'm doing. And I can see how that would take a huge toll. So, yeah. to credit to you. To, to, to work your way back multiple times and to have the disposition that you do. And certainly uh, for Megan Rapino and for Casey Kruger. All right. I'm all in on the U.S. Yeah. defense now, but I think we should <laughs> probably talk about before. other. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we should talk about other positions, okay. though, too. Let's talk midfield where we have two Muses, the MUI, yes. Sam Mewis, Christy Mewis. We've got Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Katarina Macario. Let's start with Julie Ertz. We already talked about her briefly, but she is carrying that injury. Do you think we see much of her in the group stage? Will we see her like as a substitute for the first game or do we see her maybe rested for the knockout round? Mm-hmm. That's the that's the big question right that's now. That's the big one? I do think if if you bring her on into this this tournament, right? I think it's important to establish some sort of minutes within the group stage. So um, I don't know against, you know, the first game against Sweden, they're such a, they're a good team and a team that the U S have seemed to be playing in every single um, tournament over the last, gosh, I can't even tell you how many major tournaments they've faced Sweden. in. Um, I do all of them. Yeah, all of them. I think it is all of yep. them yep. <laughs> every single time. I don't know if you bring her into that situation unless the the goal, the game calls for it. Like if they're up and it's a comfortable lead, maybe you bring her in there. But because of the intensity of that, that Swedish Sweden U.S. matchup, I don't know if that would be something to bring her in at the, the end of the game. But I do think if that's the case, you need to get her maybe 45 in the second game. And whether that's her starting and knowing that you're going to have to make a substitution at halftime and then trying to get a little bit more in, in the last game. I don't, I don't know what that looks like, but I would say if Julie Ertz is going to be who we know Julie Ertz to be, let's get her some minutes and maybe even all three of these games. I would say the first one, barring the situation, uh, maybe you bring her in for the last 20, 25. So who then do you think starts in her place in the and it is her place that role but yeah. who do you think starts as that number 6 if it's not going to be Julie Ertz? I think you you play a midfield of Sam Mewis, Lindsay Horan and am I crazy to think Christy Mewis? I mean they have the connection, the sister connection. The sister connection. They, they also have the very good player connection, yeah, but sister the, connection most of Yeah, so I say those three because I like Sam Mewis can play in the six and Lindsay Horan can play in the six. Yep. Christy Mewis, you want, you don't, she can play a little bit, one of, you know, a little bit more high, um, especially in, in attack. But I think that there is some stability there with both Horan and Sam Mewis to play in the six and they can switch, right? It doesn't have to be just one covering that space. There can be some fluidity into who's attacking and, and covering each other through there. Um, which could be interesting when you're talking about this Sweden team. Maybe it looks a little bit different than they've played against before. Um, so that's kind of, I, I, that's not one answer. It's like a Haran and Mewis answer combined. No, I think, I think that makes sense because maybe that is the combination you need to cover for Julia. Yeah. She's just that good. Uh, I was writing down your response. I, I wanted to go back to Christy Mewis for a moment just to make sure I didn't miss too much there. What, what, it, what is the sort of like, what are the, her biggest strengths that she brings into this team? She is, I think when they named, the original roster when it was only 18 players, she would have been the only new addition, the only mm-hmm. new name from that World Cup squad. Why is she in this position? How did she get to be in a place where she might be starting that opening game of the Olympics? Another really cool story. had been out of the team for a number of years and then finds her way back in it really through 2020 in the Challenge Cup and her performance with the Houston Dash over last season and this season, she got an opportunity to come into the U.S. women's team, I believe, at the beginning of this year, maybe the end of last year, probably the end of last year in some camps. Sorry, I don't know that specific um, date. But what, what's also key when you're talking about the Olympic roster, Taylor, and you just mentioned it, right? It's It's been, always been 18. 18 is a hard number um, yep. to get a team and pick the right players. And one of the things you have to do is you have to pick players who are performing. And that's, um, we'll get into this with like some of the players in the forward group, but 
Christy Mewis has been performing game in and game out and whether it's, you know, on the stat sheet with a goal or an assist with Houston Dash, but it's her movement off the ball. It's her ability on the dribble to get out players. It's her left foot. It's um, she really reads space well. So with this U.S. team, I mentioned their ability to recognize where players in front of them are occupying space and um, you know, pull the team apart in in that space that then they've created from those those runs in front. And I feel like Christy Mewis isn't afraid to get to the end line in the channel, even as a, a, a central midfielder, just if she reads where Tobin Heath is or where Kristen Press is. And so I think that's really important is she's come into this team and she's not only scored goals in, in big moments, which is important, but she's created a chemistry with these players and it made it really easy for them to bring her bring her in and her to feel like she fits in right away. And then with the idea be that we have Rose Lavelle and Katarina Macario to be those impact attacking substitutes or players you bring on if you just want to maybe kill the game off with passing and possession? Yeah, well, and Ro- I mean, I think there's a lot of they're not super similar players, but I think there are some similarities between Mewis, Christy Mewis and Rose Lavelle. And who knows? Like Rose Lavelle probably might start this game, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be Christy Mewis or it's going to be Rose Lavelle. But oh, we're going with what you would like to see. Yeah, James. I would like so that, to see that's that. Totally fine. Well, Rose Lavelle has shown that she can be an impact player on this women's national team, and so I do think that there are going to be games that she starts um, because of the quick succession of games, but she can come in and she's really intelligent and she has slaloming runs on the dribble when players are tired and she can break down teams um, with slip passes or just straight beast mode on her own. Um, and then, yeah, you can bring in Katarina Macario who can play a, a few different positions. I think she can play, she could play on the wing too, if, if needed or in that number nine spot, if they need a third number nine, which is, um, down the depth chart, which hopefully isn't the case. Um, but yeah, she's an interesting player and, and a new player to this group. She was a standout at Stanford. And really, uh, when I was calling college soccer games, I was just hoping and praying that she would sign with the U.S. Women's National Team and decide her alliance was going to be to us and not Brazil. And um, luckily, that's the case. And I think this could be, you know, you never know who's going to be the player who just comes and shows up and if she has opportunities coming into games now that she's a member of the the full squad of 22 players, she can be that impact player. She's so creative on the ball and um, it could be a good coming out party for her. And in that attacking line, we've got Tobin Heath, Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, and Lynn Williams. Hmm. Again, not a ton of surprises, <laughs> a lot of known quantities, a lot of caps between them. Yeah. I think the number was something like the average cap was 111. The average number of caps that is Jeez. the average age was around 30 years. So it's a very experienced team. You've got tons of goals. You've got tons of talent. Jordan, for you again, what would you like to see the United States do against Sweden in that opener? Oh, gosh. There really are so many. There's so you can't many combinations. Really go wrong. Yeah. It's mostly about like what do you think yeah. gives you the best chemistry and the best ability to break down Sweden. Yeah. Um I I think you play Kristen Press and gosh. <laughs> uh well the thing is Kristen Press has had in her last 37 games with the US Women's National Team, she's been a part of 37 goals. Like that is absolutely ridiculous either a goal or assist in all those those games that i've mentioned um absolutely ridiculous stat and when you talk about playing a hot player like that's what you need to do she is on fire right now i think you continue that and just allow her to get at players right away um i i would go and i don't know if this really works with how they want to set up but i think you play her and i, I just am not comfortable yet with with Tobin Heath and where she's at in her recovery. And maybe it gives her a little bit more time because we just saw her at the the last send-off series um, get some minutes in. But I would say Kristen Press, Megan Rapino, and I'm actually going to go with Carly Lloyd. 
Let's talk about Carly Lloyd okay. because she was, as you said, I think at the beginning, a player we weren't even sure would be on the Olympic roster last time mm-hmm. round. For her to be there this time is even more impressive at 39 years of age. Uh, having, I think that happened three days ago. But still, like, like, was not maybe one I would have put in there to be in the squad at all, let alone starting. But I'm with you. If you're bringing her in for that veteran experience and that ability to score goals in big moments... She has the most goals for this team. She seems like the one to do it. So it seems odd, but I think I'm with you for her starting. And she has, uh, I mean, she knows the Swedish team. She knows how they're going to play. She is, she adds a little bit different um, runs, right? Than Alex Morgan. Alex is going to probably stretch the back line a little bit more, which I feel like against Sweden might be more beneficial in later stages of the game. So maybe she comes Mm in, um, if they're chasing or pushing for a goal, maybe she comes in later in, in the match. Um, but then do you take Carly off? Like there are so many factors, right, that go into all these decisions. Um, yeah. But Carly can drop into the midfield and almost play like a little bit of a false nine at times. And that just meaning that she turns into more of a playmaker with runners going in front of her. And she can use some of those midfield tendencies that she's had throughout a lot of her career um, into being in that number nine spot. But she's also good under pressure, right? And when you're trying to set a tone in the Olympics with it being a short tournament and the U.S. trying to, you know, probably playing their toughest opponent in this first game against Sweden, I think that you might just want to have a player who, well, gosh, she just relishes those moments. She just shows up every time there's a big moment. It's Carly Lloyd meeting it uh, face on saying, all right, I'll, I'll take this. I'll do something wild Hmm. here. So um, I think that you go with Carly Lloyd. And if you had to predict one of these players as winning the golden boot for top scorer, would it be Carly Lloyd or would you go somewhere else? Ooh. Oh gosh. Um, Your, your, your co-host on MLS assist Joe Lowry uh, does not like making specific predictions or predictions at all. Ryan Bailey loves to force him into them. So I'm doing the same to you. Okay. okay. Um, Asking for your golden boot pick. Gosh, that's a great question. I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like with how good I'm going to go with Kristen Press. I just feel like she's <laughs> done so well lately. I can't not say it. You know, I want to pick a midfielder. For some reason, um, I want to pick Sam Mewis. Interesting. I, I feel interesting. like just the way that this U.S. team attacks the channels and their ability to get across in, like they they're going to push teams back so deep that 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 ball to the top of the box or that late run might be on more than um more than we think. And so I want to say Sam Yunus, but no, my gut's saying Kristen Press. And I'm assuming we'll see some uh, goals off of set pieces, or that's been the case yeah. in the past. I think of this team as being pretty clever when it comes to set pieces. There's always that possibility for master set piece mm. theater for sort of designed plays. Julie Ertz seems to do a lot of different things, including just making other defenders uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, how, how big of a role do you expect set pieces to play for this team? Gosh, I mean, this was... I know this was the summer of own goals, but um, oh yeah, so, some of them came off of set pieces. I, I think set pieces are always they're always crucial in tournaments because games are tight, and set pieces can be a moment where some teams really tune in and focus well, and some teams don't, and it can just take a half second of losing your mark and the ball being played into that specific place and you're down a goal. So I do think set pieces will play a role. I don't know if it'll play as big of a role as just run of play goals for this U.S. team because they are so good and fluid and aggressive and um, have the capability to beat you in the run of play. All right. And in the U.S.'s group, we've got Sweden, New Zealand, and Australia. Sweden is at 4.30 Eastern, uh, 4.30 in the morning Eastern on July 21st. New Zealand at 7.30 in the morning on July 24th. And Australia, again at 4 a.m. on July 27th. <laughs> Jordan, uh, which of those opponents do you think will be the biggest challenge or where, where might the U.S. struggle the most? And who do you think will present the least amount of challenge? I know it will be competitive across the board. We're not writing anybody off. We're not, we're not expecting any sort of 13 no wins in the group stage, or at least I am not. Uh, but who do you think finishes? I, I wouldn't say like who finishes top or whatever like that, but just who do you think gives the U.S. the most to think about and who do you think the U.S. is able to get by with relative ease? Yeah, I, um, 
Gosh, it's a, it's a pretty tough group well, mm-hmm. when you think about it. Um, Australia has been on the up and up over the last few years. And I think a lot of that has had to do with just players from Australia doing this back and forth between NWSL and mm-hmm. their Australian league, some going to Europe as well. But they, they've really developed into a nation. When you're talking about the 2019 World Cup, people were thinking that they could be one of those pushing for um, semifinals, the final even at, at moments. So I do think Australia is going to be challenging. It's interesting too. I think just with the way the world was in the last year and a half, we haven't seen a lot of these international teams as much yep. as we normally do with US yeah. women's national team. So there is a little bit more of a mystery as to like how they're going to play, but they have Tony Gustafson, who is a former, um, U.S. assistant coach. He was with the team in 2019 when they won the World Cup. Now he coaches Australia. And this guy is a mastermind. So this Australian team is going to have some really good, solid tactics. I think when you look at this group, your your first inclination is to think Sweden um, will give the U.S. a tough job which or a tough game which they will mm-hmm. i mean they're sweden it's going to be a good game between those two teams but i do think that the game against australia is going to be the most intriguing tactically and that can mean you know a two win two nothing win for the u.s still or it could mean a really good back and forth battle where each team um, creates opportunities probably scores a couple of chances uh so i would say that's probably going to be the match i'm looking forward to the most and then new zealand has some good have some good pieces, but I just I don't think that they're going to be able to hang with the other the other teams in this group. And are you planning to be up at four thirty oh. in the morning for that first oh first game? Gosh. Um, I'm going to try. <laughs> That's all I can do, right? I can try. It's all you can do. Yeah, you can try. I might be you up, try. Taylor. Um, just can I stay up? Is the question. Can I stay up for the 90 minutes and then get myself back into sleep before we chat about it? Because we're going to chat about it, right? We are. We are. I I, uh, I used to watch them like these games, early morning games on. And I know like West Coast listeners, I know you have it worse. <laughs> we, we know that. We, we talk about this a lot when right. it comes to the Premier League that uh, complaining about a 7 a.m. kickoff to a, a West Coast team yeah. wake up at 4 a.m. <laughs> is not going to go well. But I will say uh, yeah, watching, if you try to like watch in your couch or a comfortable chair, you're falling right back asleep. Mm. That's why I have to sit like at my desk in front of the computer with a cup of coffee. Ooh. Otherwise, I will fall asleep. I like But that. if we do, we are going to record a little bit later. Later. We're not going to record immediately after the game. We're going to give some time to to watch it in a more comfortable way, maybe rewatch a little bit, and then it will be myself, Jordan, and I believe Joe Lowry is going to join, join us to break down that USA-Sweden game on Wednesday. But for now, Jordan, thank you very much for taking the time to break down this roster, to talk a little bit about the team, a little bit about your needs. That's good, right. that's good to know, and it really does uh, have me excited to root for Casey Kruger and hope that she gets some minutes. But for now, thank you very much for bringing all the knowledge yeah. today. Thanks for having me, Taylor. And not only we're talking soccer tactics we're talking how to watch soccer tactics as well so you get everything here on the total soccer shop shop. one stop (laughs) shop that's what we're going for listeners thank you all so much for listening i hope you all enjoyed and we will talk to you all again soon 